Today we're looking at uh, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4, uh, beginning uh, with verse 2. We're going to just read a very small passage, uh, verses 2 through 6. Uh, Paul has been t talking to the church at Colossae about the transforming love of Jesus and how it works from the inside out, how it has quickened them and caused them to come to life, how, how this awakening has uh, imparted to them opportunity and, and uh, um, uh, transformation. And he says that uh, we were once alienated, but now we've been drawn close and we're a part of a new family. And today that's what I want to talk about. I want this new opportunity to understand and develop our thinking about what it means to be a part of a fresh community, a fresh community. I remember as a ninth grader, uh, I made the, one of the scariest transitions ever in my life. Um, I had the privilege of going through uh, elementary school and then into junior high school and uh, just matriculating along in the same neighborhood communities. So I, my friends, I had friends when I was in ninth grade, I had friends that I had known before kindergarten, and we'd been in classes since kindergarten. I had this real sense of comfortability uh, in, uh, in, in my community. And uh, I, I remember being scared to death when I heard my mother and dad talking about moving. Like, not just like around the corner, like, but all the way across town. Like, like it seemed like a million miles away. It wasn't. It was probably 12. But it seemed like a million miles away. And I began to just wonder, hmm, what's this going to be like? And I remember navigating my way away from Grover Cleveland Junior High School to Foster High School. And I'll never, I'll never forget the frightened little boy. I was 14 years old. I'll never forget the frightened little boy that entered the halls of Foster Junior High for the very first time. Like, I was trying to be cool. Internally, I was a mess. When I think about being invited into a new community, I think about me being a 14-year-old boy, and then I think about others, and maybe even some of you here today. Maybe you're here for the first time, and coming into this community today was like me being a 14-year-old boy, knees knocking, trying to be cool, but you're just like a mess. Or maybe you've been here a few weeks, or maybe you've been here a few months, and you still feel that angst of do I belong or not, or maybe you've been here for a really, really long time. It's possible you could have been here for months, even years, and still feel the anxiety of do I really, really belong. And today I want to talk to you about what it looks like to create fresh community. And what I mean by that is fresh opportunity for inclusion and fresh opportunity to open our doors wide so that everyone has a chance to belong. We think that we're an extremely welcoming, open community. And I believe that, but more than I want to believe that, I want us to be a practicing, opening, welcoming community. And 
I think that the last chapter of Colossians, Paul takes all of the, all of the theology of the previous three chapters and he begins to roll them up into what it looks like as you live it out. And that's what I want to talk about today, creating fresh community, fresh opportunity for belonging, to throw wide open the doors of invitation to everyone. And I think he's got some things to say to us about how we can actually do that. So follow along with me if you have your in them to um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. If you want to follow along, you can do so on the screen behind me, and it, uh, I'm reading from the New International Version. And it reads like this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. If you write in your Bibles, you can just underline that sixth verse. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When we talk about being a fresh community, there are sort of four things I see in this passage as it moves itself along. And for us to be a people who are a fresh people, who are a fresh community, we have to believe a people, a community that's devoted to prayer. A, a community that's devoted to prayer. If you think about this uh, little letter to the church at Colossae, Paul actually begins this letter in chapter 1 by saying, I've been praying for you ever since the very first day I heard of who you are. And I've been praying that you will be filled with the wisdom of God, that you will bear much fruit and that you will have a continuing endurance in following the one who's called you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't it interesting that he concludes this little letter with a very similar invitation? He says simply this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. A, a, a classic definition of Christian prayer is simply this. It's an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Westminster Shorter Catechism, for those of you who have a history with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's right there. A, a classic understanding of prayer is simply this. An offering up of our desires. I think you don't do injustice to the definition when you say an offering up, not of just our desires, but an offering up of ourselves. Our desires comprise who we are. So as we pray, we offer up ourselves unto God for things that are agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful for the acknowledgement of his mercies. 
I, I, I translate, I always translate acknowledgement of his mercies, I always translate that in my mind as acknowledgement of his empowering presence. Offering up myself, ourselves, to be available for his merciful, empowering presence. And I will just tell you, the only way that comes to us is when we become people of prayer. We don't get it any other way. Spiritual formation is not reading the most recent book written by your favorite Christian author. Spiritual formation is rooted and grounded in the practice of prayer. So as we devote ourselves to prayer, I think it would be helpful for us to understand what prayer does in us and for us. And this is just the way I think about it. You can find several other ways to think about it, but here's how I think about it. I think about prayer being the activity that awakens us to the work of God. Prayer is the activity that awakens us to the work of God. Just let me, you don't have to raise your hand, you can if you like, but how many of you have ever been praying, and as you were praying, you were quickened to something better than your own thoughts to act for good in the life of someone near to you or in the life of someone you don't even know? Any, anybody? Okay, all right. That is an awakening for us into the life of God. How many of you have uh, been awakened in other ways? You've been awakened internally where you've been praying along and something that you've never really thought about suddenly becomes really, really important and God begins to speak not about someone else or working in someone else's life, but he begins to speak to you about working in your life and changing you from the inside out. That, that, that's me. He awakens us to his good work. But not only does he awaken us to his good work, as he his good work, he also awakens us and invites us to join him in that good work. See, awareness and invitation. Awareness and invitation. This is what prayer does for us. It awakens us to the work of God. It, it invites us to participate in the action of God. So when Paul says, be devoted to prayer, he's not, he's not talking about praying passionately every now and again. He, he, he's not talking about praying every once in a while. He's not talking about praying when your life seems to be collapsing in on itself. He's not talking about praying in an emergency. He's talking about praying in your everyday, ordinary life, whether it's passionate or not. Can I tell you, our prayers can never be measured by our passion. Now, the reason I say that is because I'm just going to confess, my passion comes and goes. Like, I feel, I feel really passionate about prayer sometimes, and sometimes, I just confess, sometimes work. Like, it's just dry. It's just like, you know, the heavens are closed, God's not listening, and it just seems like I'm talking to blank space. 
But Paul's talking about not passionate prayer. He's talking about persistent, ongoing prayer that invites our eyes to be open to the work of God and our hearts to be participants in the activity of God. And so, when we talk about prayer, and as we pray persistently, here's what I'm confident happens. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I, I think he's inviting them to, to be quickened to the presence of God. Uh, I think he's inviting them to be uh, awake and not asleep. I think he's inviting them to take a look about the things that God's doing all around them. Uh, but, but I think he's really talking to us about being watchful. I think he's talking about being watchful about our own lives where we're responsive to the quickening invitation of God for us to orient our lives in a new way. So he says, be devoted to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Be, I think I read this this way, be quick to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ in all ways possible to his invitation of transformation. Just be quick. Don't be thick-headed. Don't be dull. Be watchful and be those who quickly say yes to the invitation of his transforming love. And be thankful. And be thankful. You know, sometimes I'm not so thankful to the quickening invitations of God's love. Like, really, do I have to? Come on. Isn't there another way? No, no. Be aware, be awake, and be thankful that God's quickening love is at work in and through us. And so, as we pray and as we experience this transformation, we begin to discover our eyes are opened, our hearts are softened, and we are watchful, awake, and we are thankful. And let me just say, prayer, again, reiterate, I've already said it, but prayer is a regular part of our everyday, ordinary life. At least that's our goal. That's our goal. If you're not there yet, then I would invite you to begin to practice being there. Begin to just practice. Uh, simply breath prayers. Uh, if you've been around for any time at all, you've heard me say this. And this is simply an awakening invitation uh, that's, that's been practiced throughout the ages. And it simply goes something like this. You breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and as you breathe in, you think or say to yourself, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, and as you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a quick prayer, right? But if it's an awakened prayer, it's an invitation for Jesus to show you or awaken you to what he's doing and for you to be invited to do that work with him. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A classic prayer that can be prayed multiple times in a very busy day that will open our hearts to better understand the incredible work of God in our life. Now, as we read this, we, we to be a, a community that's being transformed, we have to be a people who are devoted to prayer. Now, as we read this passage, there's some movement to this passage. 
There's some movement to this passage. And so the movement is pretty easy to follow. There's a general encouragement to prayer. So be devoted to prayer, be watchful, and be thankful. And then Paul just sort of seamlessly moves into a specific kind of praying. He says, and oh, by the way, pray for me and pray for the evangelistic ministry that I'm engaged with. And, and we understand that to include others. Uh, we understand that to include Timothy and Silas. And if you keep on reading in chapter 4, you can just see a litany of names of people who are engaged in the ministry that I think are included in this prayer. And oh, by the way, pray for me, pray for Silas, pray for Timothy, pray for Tychicus, pray, pray for all these people. And as you pray for them, pray for them, don't forget to include yourself in the invitation of this evangelistic ministry to which not only I have been called, but to which we have been called. And it just sort of flows seamlessly. Pray, be devoted, pray for me, and then he starts working out what it looks like to be a community who's acting on their ordinary, everyday, regular prayer life. And so the next thing we have to do, here's, here's some of the workings out of what it looks like. He says, he says, pray, and as we pray, then we become a community given to sharing the good news of Jesus. That's his request for himself. Pray that I may have open doors for the ministry of the good news of Jesus, and pray that as those doors open, I may, able, I may be able to clearly proclaim the mystery of Jesus. Verses 3 and 4, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul moves... Douglas Moo says in his observation of this passage, he says, Paul moves from prayer in general to prayer for himself and prayer for others engaged in ministry. Who's included in others? We are. We are. So as we pray, we pray for those who have evangelistic ministry, those beyond this church, those people who are in this church, but we're also always praying for ourselves and we're praying exactly the same way that Paul asks us to pray for him. Pray that we would be those who have open doors and clear proclamation. Open doors and clear proclamation. Don't raise your hand, but... How many of you have had an open door this week that you didn't walk through? Don't, don't raise your hand. An open door. You know it was a clear, an open door to share the good news of Jesus, your life, with someone else, and you just missed the opportunity. I'll raise my hand for all of us. That's me. This week. This week. I've told you the prayer I play regularly. When I roll my feet out onto the floor most every morning consciously and subconsciously, sort of in my waking hours, I pray, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Today, Lord, awaken me, quicken me to your work in the world. Let me be sensitive to the places you would lead me. Open my eyes to see people who need your love. Open my heart to be receptive to sharing your love with them. And I get up and I take a shower and I brush my teeth and I comb my hair and I put on my clothes and I forget that prayer. 
It's a good thing I pray it every morning because I don't forget it every day. This is the kind of praying, regular, ordinary prayer that a community is engaged in, devoted to prayer, but then that devotion to prayer allows us to be a community that is given to sharing the good news of Jesus. How many of you know people that you'd like to, for them to understand clearly the good news of Jesus? You know people? Yeah, yeah see, see this, is, this, is, this is part of what this fresh community is all about. We pray, God opens our hearts, He invites us to be part of His message, uh, to part of His ministry, and then we're a community that's open to sharing the good news of Jesus. And clear proclamation. This is, this is a sticking point. Because when I say clear proclamation, here's what you hear. A good theologian. To which you say, well, pastor can do that. Well, I'm not a very good theologian, so don't put me in that box. I'm just an everyday ordinary guy trying to tell one beggar where another beggar found bread. So when you hear clear proclamation, here, let me be clear about what I'm, I'm saying. I want you to be clear about the places that you are experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. Simply put, I want you to tell your story to others. Have a story to tell? Just tell it to others. This is where God's meeting me. This is where God's transforming me. This is where God's changing me. This is where I have hope. This is where I'm experiencing life. This is where I have joy. This is where I was going that way, and now I'm going this way. This is where I've been turned around. This is where ashes have been turned into beauty. This is where sorrowful tears have been turned into tears of joy. This is where perseverance and long-suffering have persisted, and now I'm seeing fruit birthed in my life. That's all we do. So, so as we become a community given to sharing the good news of Jesus, we just become a community that's willing to tell our stories. You might say this, is, this next point is absolutely unnecessary, but I want to be really clear about it. As we share the good news, we need to be a community committed to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Like the Holy Huddle Club, we can share our stories among a holy huddle, and that's wonderful, and it's encouraging, and it's life-giving, but it's not, really, it's not really sharing the good news of Jesus in places where it's needed most. It's needed. It's needed. Okay, the holy huddle needs to hear the good news of Jesus, but there are those who exist beyond the holy huddle. Paul calls them outsiders. I started to use that word and I just couldn't because I didn't want us to think of us and them. I want us to think of people on a journey and some of them are not yet followers of Jesus, but they're on a journey and we want to help them take their next step to becoming followers of Jesus. And so we have to be a community who is committed to people who are not yet followers of Jesus, and may it ever be so of the Pearland Vineyard that we are a welcoming, inviting, including place for people of all sizes, shapes, kinds, and types of different theological, philosophical persuasions. 
while we proclaim the good news of Jesus in the hope that the mystery of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, will be awakened in the hearts of those who are not yet his followers so that we can rejoice with them as they say yes to him and share our lives with them regardless of however long it takes. If never. You see, see, if never. We don't have an ulterior motive. We have an ultimate motive. We don't befriend people just in hopes that they'll become followers of Jesus. And if they don't become followers of Jesus, we kick them to the curb. That's an ulterior motive. We have an ultimate motive to love all people because every person is made in the image of God and they breathe his life. So therefore, we give ourselves to them gladly and with great joy regardless of their persuasion. And I would say, God, expand our hearts, our opportunities, expand our ways, inviting and including people. Swing wide open doors. Swing open clear communication. Let us be committed to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. Let me just really quickly move through this. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those who are not yet followers of Jesus. Make the most of every, to every opportunity. You see, he, he's saying to us, he's saying to us here that if we are a people of prayer given to sharing the good news, when we come in contact with people who need to hear the good news, even those who are not yet followers of Jesus, that our prayer and the gospel will engage in acts of wisdom. Be wise. Be wise. Wisdom will enable us to determine how it is that we share our good news with everyone we come in contact with. Wisdom will prepare us for any situation. Think of the book of Acts. What should we say? Well, don't worry about what you say. Just let the Holy Spirit inform you. Paul's sort of saying that again here. Luke said it in Acts. Paul's saying it here. He said, don't be worried about it. Just be filled with wisdom as you pray, as you share your story, as you include outsiders, as you include people of opposition. See, uh, Paul has this notion that there are people who are rebellious against the gospel, people who are fighting against the gospel, and he has them in mind here, at least in part. He's saying, even your enemies, people who think totally opposite of what you think, your enemies, when you think about them and you're praying for them, be filled with wisdom. And the Spirit in every situation will give you a new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of sharing so that you can be effective. I've been surprised sometimes in conversation with people about the tidbits that just dropped into my head. Sometimes it's something that I just read. Sometimes it's something that I read a long time ago. Something is, sometimes it's something that's important to me, something that's changing me. And it just seems like that's the thing. It's like, hey, what about this? And so I have these promptings. I thought to myself or God said to me, hey, you ought to say this. I thought to myself or God said to me, hey, maybe this is the question you ask. I thought to myself or God said to me, maybe this is the thing they're looking for. That, that's wisdom at work. And then, just for sake of time, I, I can't go into all of this, but here, here's what he says. He says, wisdom will enable us to share with those who are not yet followers of Jesus. But then he says this. He says, let your conversation 
be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Before that, I'm sorry, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. He's simply saying, look for, look for opportunities to buy time. Look for opportunities to buy time. Uh, he says, another way to simply say it is, just be sure to make the most of every opportunity of your open door. That's it. Just, that's it. Just make the most of every, every opportunity. Will we miss opportunities? Absolutely. Let it go. Ask, ask for another opportunity. And just take advantage of that one. But look to buy time. Look to make time. Look to create space in your life to be engaged and involved actively with those who are not yet followers of Jesus. You can step outside your front door today, take a look at the houses around you, and I'm sure that there are those right around you, your neighbors, that you already know more than likely, at least best you can tell, that they're on a journey of life that does not include following Jesus. What if we started there? What about people in your office? What about places you shop? What about places you sh share life? It, just be, just be, just real. Share your life with those who are not yet followers of Jesus. And then he says this, and I'm going to quit. Uh, I'm going to quit right here. He says we have to be a community that's filled with grace. We have to be a community that's filled with grace. Grace allows us to be free to set aside selfishness. Grace allows us to be free to set aside selfishness. Selfishness is the thoughts that occupy I, me, my, and mine, and that they're overwhelming. Uh, another way is to say self-absorption. Grace allows us to be free from self-absorption. Grace allows us to defer appropriately rather than needing a position of superiority. Defer appropriately rather than needing a position of superiority. Grace allows us to take on the attitude of a servant. Grace allows the opportunity for us to experience forgiveness and let it be mutual. Forgiveness and it be mutual. You see, sometimes we need to forgive, and in a community of grace, sometimes we need to be forgiven. You see, grace is an opportunity to not only communicate the content of the gospel, but in a manner that makes the gospel extremely attractive. No Bible-thumping know-it-alls among us. Let me say it again. No Bible-thumping know-it-alls among us. A people of grace that can set aside self-absorption be mutually deferent, an attitude of servanthood, and willing to forgive and be forgiven.
Here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of a community of grace. Here's the beauty of a community of grace. How many of you would like to be in a community of faith that acted out of those four qualities? Guess what? If we're a community of grace, it begins with practicing right here, right now, with the people seated around you. I promise you, you're going to be given multiple opportunities to be people of grace before you even walk outside these doors. Like your relationships. Grace doesn't start beyond the doors. It starts right here. But grace doesn't end at the door. It extends itself far beyond. And so here's the opportunity. We practice grace within our community and within our faith community, and we need the practice because each one of us needs to grow in grace. But then we also allow grace to flow beyond these walls, beyond this gathering, to everyone that we come in contact with. And so may it be of us that we are devoted to prayer. May it be of us that we are given to sharing the good news of Jesus. May it be of us that we are committed to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. And may it be of us that we are filled with grace here and everywhere we go. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. That's the kind of community that I'm inviting you and me. I'm inviting us to build together. Because in that community, we become a people who are experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. And as we experience the transforming love of Jesus, we are creating space for new believers and followers of Jesus to grow. And if you need to know anything about the Vineyard Church, that's the thing you need to know. We're a community of God's people experiencing the transforming love of Jesus, creating space for new believers and followers of Jesus to grow.